0: Thank you, Kevin, and the worship team. If you if you would, you got your Bibles. We're going to continue in our study of James, in James chapter 5. So if you would, take your Bibles and flip there. It's been one of those crazy years, obviously. And one of the, the, the most common things that I hear from people that I see um, in some way, shape, form, or fashion on social media is one of the most common things that I hear is... Man, I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I'm weary. Just worn out. I hear that, I see it in people's faces. I, I get it. I'm there. I'm tired. Taylor and I have had conversations about this. Just the exhaustion that this year has brought, you know, the changes that have had to come about at our workplaces, The threats to people's way of life, the uncertainty of the pandemic, and just all the other junk that goes along with life in a fallen world in a quote unquote normal year. We get it. But as we talked about last week, I am very thankful. Very thankful for a God who meets us in our weakness, He meets us in our exhaustion. He meets us in our weariness and he lifts us up when we approach him through prayer. Let's look at James chapter 5 verses 13 through 18. We read this last week, we're going to read it again, and I'm going to focus in on that second half. It says if anyone is anyone among you suffering, let him pray. Is anyone cheerful, let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruits. If you would pray with me. Father, we thank you for your word today. Thank you for the truth that it speaks. I pray that you would enlighten our eyes by your spirit, that we may meet your son Jesus in the text, and that we may walk away transformed by the message of James chapter 5, verses 13 through 18. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So if you remember the context of the book of James in general, James is writing... The people who have undergone significant trials. In, in chapter five, we see the insight into some of those trials, and that is there's a, a wealthy class who do not know the Lord who are oppressing uh, the poor. They're oppressing the laborers and, and, and that are part of this this group that James is writing. But also, they're meeting persecution and o- opposition just generally from the Gentile nations that they're scattered among, and their Jewish uh, countrymen who uh, have not accepted their Christ but they've rejected him. And so these people are in this time of trial and tribulation, and they're in that same point of weariness and just weakness that many of us feel during this year. And if you recall from last week's discussion, the New Testament uses six words that we are often that are often translated as sick. And James uses two in this passage. The two times that you see sick. And the first is this word astheneo, and it means feeble, weak, and without strength, it's a powerlessness, it's, it's this feeble sickness is what, is what the idea is there. And then the, the second word is camno, and it highlights a little bit more of the weariness of the soul and spirit that focuses on distress to the point of sickness. Now Randy talked through those in detail last message, so if you missed last week and you want to catch up on, on the reasoning behind that, last week online you can go on mbchurch.com and catch it or on YouTube. But it's in these points of time that James is highlighting, in these points of weakness, these moments of powerlessness, these, these weariness of soul, it's in these seasons that James is highlighting in, this, in these few verses the blessing of prayer and the amazing gift the local church is uh, to, uh, to us. And when we say the local church, we mean both her pastors and the members. So everybody coming together is a gift to God's people. And it's these people that James is calling in this passage to have a depth of love and compassion towards one another as they practice uplifting ministry to the weak and weary and the burnt out in this world. And in this, me- in this passage, one of the things that comes abundantly clear, and it's a unified message, and that's this, is that God is compassionate, He is merciful, and He cares for suffering Christians. So if you're burnt out, if you're weary, you're tired. Hear this. Because you can be confident in this truth, and that is this, that God desires to lift you up through prayer. And he gives you pastors and a church family to come alongside you in prayer in order to help you in your weakness. That's, that's a good truth. God, one, desires to lift you up through prayer, and he has given you a church family who, who have elders or pastors and, um, and fellow members that they, they come alongside you um, in their weakness. So why is this prayer ministry uh, effective is the question we want to ask. So let's look at verse 15. It says this, And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. So last week as we had a little bit of a Greek lesson, we're going to have a, a smaller brief lesson uh, this time because there's a couple words and some ways that these sentences go together that I want to highlight. So just like in English, it's the same way in English, Greek has words that have multiple uses, multiple nuances of meaning. So even uh, for example, the wor- word we're going to look at, save, um, has multiple ways that you can be used in, in English. You can save a document, you can save some money, and you can save someone from falling into a pit. All of those have very different uses and meaning. Now that's not the Old Testament, I mean the, the ancient Greek usage of the word save, but save nonetheless had different nuances of meaning. And When Bible translating committees are translating the Greek into English, they try as much as they can, or at least the ESV and the NASB, New King James Version, try as much as they can to not translate the text for the people, but to interpret, I mean, not to interpret what the text is saying, but translate what the words are saying and leaving the act of interpretation up to the reader or the teacher. So oftentimes, committees will choose the broadest term uh, and leave the work of interpreting the nuance of meaning up to the reader and the teacher. So it's this way with the word save, it's this way with the, word, and with the word sick. So we talked about sick last week, and it's the word in verse 15 is that camno. it's that weariness of soul and spirit. But save is, is another one of those words, and it could mean like two things. It could mean save from peril, like save from hell, save from falling in a ditch, save from uh, any kind of disaster. But it could also mean restore, as in to make one whole, uh, either spiritually or physically. And I think it's the second idea of restoring that James is trying to communicate in this passage. Uh, And while the ESV left it saved, the NASB went ahead and translated it as restore. So we see that that the prayer of faith will restore the one who is weary and the Lord will raise him up. And that word that we translate, and, it's just a simple conjunction. But the conjunctions in the ancient Greek had a a broader uh, function, not just communicating a simple idea of where one conjunction means one thing but they had a a little bit broader usage where it was relating especially when two thoughts or clauses were involved this conjunction and or chi is what it is in the greek would relate these clauses in a variety of different ways sometimes it was talking about consequential action this happened and then this happened next sometimes it talks about you can be translated also sometimes it, it it talks about cause and effect or the result of something and you don't have to know Greek to, to be able to see some of these insights. You just need to be a good study, and I mean, a good and careful student of the English Bible and examining how different clauses or thoughts relate to one another. So, for example, throughout the books of James, there are a few instances where two clauses are linked by the word and and where the second clause um, relates to it in a little deeper way than just a simple, uh, what we would potentially think when we see the word and. Um so if you look in chapter 3, there's this, there's this passage when he's talking about the tongue. He says, The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and is set on fire by hell uh, itself. Or I mean, is set on fire by hell. So the, the relationship between those two clauses, the, the tongue is set on fire by hell, and it's setting on course the entire uh, course of life. The tongue sets on fire the entire course of life because the tongue is set on fire by hell. We're seeing, it's explaining why the first clause is the case. Or when you look at, um, in chapter 4, it says, draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. We draw near to God in faith that He will draw near to us. We're believing that God will draw near to us as we draw near to Him. So that second clause, it, it does happen, you know, and that kind of this happened and this happened, but we're believing this second clause to be the truth as we act out that first clause. So when we look at this passage, it says the prayer of faith was, you know, saves the sick and the Lord will raise him up. A, a way to, an alternative translation for this verse would be this, and it says, and the prayer of faith will restore the one who is weary for the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. So the prayer of faith will restore the one who is weary. Why? Because the Lord will raise him up and the Lord will raise him up. It's, this is explained and described by the second clause. And that's how they relate together. And this communicates a powerful and important point when we're talking about prayer, and that is this, is that the power of prayer is not in the individual praying, but in the Lord. The power of prayer is not in you. It's in God. He will restore the weary. He will forgive the sinner. So if you are weary, if you're tired, if you're burnt out, and you think that this message is just one more burden on your back, one more standard you can't meet, one more thing to do in the midst of your crazy schedule already, I want you to be set free from that. The prayer of faith is not a test of strength. It's an admittance of weakness. If you're genuinely in Christ... God is not withholding his restoring power because he thinks your faith is too small. He may not be answering your prayers in the way that you think he should be, but that's because his sovereign wisdom is at work. He's not answering your prayers because you haven't jumped through enough faith hoops. People who torment people and saying, you just need to have more faith. Their tongues are full of lies, and it's venom. God already has set the standard for the amount of faith that he requires, and it's the size of a mustard seed. Because faith isn't about you. Your faith is only as strong as the object of your faith, and the object of your faith, if you're in Christ, is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He's Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who took on flesh, who lived in our place, who died in our place, who resurrected from the grave. That's who our faith is in. And when we feel weary, and we feel weak, and all we can utter out is a simple, Lord, just help me. He hears it, and He answers it. God is not up there on his throne waiting for you to jump through hoops he is a good father who gives good gifts so when we are not getting our prayers answered in the way that we would think that they should be answered we can trust in his goodness with the idea that god knows better than i do he will restore the weary so if you are weak call out to him if you're burdened call out to He will restore you in your weariness, and He will forgive the sinner. You have committed sins, and you call out forgiveness. I want you to hear me say this. God will forgive you. And that's good news, because we have all morally messed it up. I've messed it up. You've messed it up. None of you are righteous. I'm not righteous. We're all a bunch of sinners. Born children of wrath, cut out from, cut off, cut apart from God and his people, enemies of God, bound for hell, sons of our father, Satan. That's how we're born into this world. Depraved, cut off. But God, in his mercy, sent his son, Jesus Christ, to live out his standard. So where we failed, Christ succeeded. He was tempted in every way that we were, and it says that God made him who knew no sin. God made him to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Christ took your sin upon the cross. He took the punishment of God's wrath in your place, and he died bearing the curse of death in your place, and he was buried, and he rose again from the grave on the third day. and unto eternal life, victorious over sin, victorious over death, victorious over the enemy, and he shares his life, he shares his victory, he shares his righteousness with those who turn from their sins and believe in him and come to him in surrendered faith and he will return one day to judge the living and the dead, separating some unto eternal life and some unto eternal death, and he will put an end uh, to sin for all who have come to him in surrendered faith. So I want you to hear me say this. If you have never experienced the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, if you've never experienced his restoration in in your weakness, come to Jesus today. But don't take my word for it. Listen to what Jesus says to you. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So if you are still in sin, you have not come to Jesus in faith. Hear me say this. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Call on Him today. He will forgive you. If you're weary, if you're burnt out, call on Jesus today and He will lift you up. The Lord will restore the weary. The Lord will forgive the sinner. And that's what the Lord and how the Lord works through prayer. Now let's see how we as the church are called to join him in that ministry as he is working. Verse 16 says this, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed or restored. So what we see here is, is not just a simple command, but we see the Lord inviting the church into his ministry. So the Lord gives the church the privilege, the privilege of participating in his ministry of reconciliation and restoration. So when we pray for one another, when we confess our sins to one another, and we forgive and we help each other along in the walk of faith, we're not just doing something, we're participating in the very work of God in this world through His church. Have you thought about what we do on Sunday mornings in that way when we come into this room or we go to life group? God is bringing you a part of what He is doing in this world through His Spirit for the glory of His Son. It's a privilege what we get to do every Sunday. Not a chore, a privilege. So what does this look like? Well, first, we confess our sins to one another, and that means that we humbly confess our sins to a select group of people. You know, we don't want to just be broad with everybody. We want to select a few people that we trust that we're walking alongside with. We want to confess our sins to them, and we want to humbly receive the confessions of others. Why is confession so important? Well, it's because sin is so destructive. And the way sin operates is it will rob you of joy and satisfaction in Christ Jesus, and it will seek to isolate you in shame and guilt. So as, when you sin and you hold on to that sin and you persist in that sin, you, it's, it's destroying you, it's robbing you of joy and satisfaction and peace, and it's trying to isolate you so that you're alone, thinking that you're the only one dealing with this sin and, or whatever it may be. And it wants you to stay in that position of shame and guilt and confession to one another is one of the ways that God uses to set us free from the power of sin in our lives. So Christ has set us free from sin and its penalty and He's actively setting us free from its power in our life through sanctification. And He uses confession... To do that, he uses the ministry of confession to do that. And humility is vital to that ministry for two reasons for the confessor and the one who's sitting there listening to the confession. And that is, the confessor must be humble enough to, to remove this facade of perfection that many of us try to keep up. They have to discard that as being a sham, and they need to honestly speak to one another in confessing their sins to one another. And the receiver of the confession must be humble enough to recognize that they're no better. They're just as likely from walking away from that meeting and entering into the very same sin that person was talking to them about. And they are to restore that person with gentleness and respect. So we're confessing our sins to the Lord in prayer, asking for his forgiveness. And the Bible says he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of our our righteousness. And we're confessing our sins to one another, uh, setting us free from, you know, helping us, Get, see sin for what it is and come alongside one another in this, in this walk of faith. And, and then the second thing that we're called to do is we're called to be eager to pray for one another restoratively. So this type of prayer ministry, what we're, what we're seeing here, is not just a, hey, let's pray for Aunt Sally and, and you know, her toe surgery or whatever. I mean, we're of, we want to pray for sick family members. We want to pray for people going to sur- surgery, but this type of praying for one another is deeper than that. It's not less than that, but it's more than that. Because this type of prayer ministry comes alongside one another in their weaknesses. In the days of sorrow. In the days where you feel so burdened by the day's events that you don't feel like you can get out of bed. In the days where you feel you're you're nervous, you're frustrated, you're struggling to love one another. It's in those moments that this prayer ministry is meant to come alongside one another. You're supposed to have people that you're going through this life with together who's pursuing Christ alongside you, seeking to live for the kingdom of God, and you pray for one another, fortifying each other in prayer, coming alongside one another in our weakness. When we're weak, we can seek the Lord and He will lift us up, but sometimes we need people to come alongside us and help us. And that's the type of prayer ministry that we're talking about here. It's a prayer ministry for the burdens of the soul. That's what we're seeing here. It says, then you will be this twofold ministry working together results in the healing, or that is the spiritual restoration of an individual as they're in their journey of sanctification in this life. That's what we see. We're walking through this life together, bearing one another's burdens, confessing our sins to one another, and restoring one another in a spirit of gentleness. And this is exactly what Paul says in Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 2. He says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression... You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of of gentleness. And keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. There's a lot of places where this ministry can take place, and it's best done with a handful of brothers and sisters who you trust and are pursuing Christ with. But at Meadowbrook, the best place for this to to occur at is life groups. And if you haven't connected with a life group, hear me say this. Life groups are an incredible source of god's ministry towards you at meadowbrook you're missing out it's a place of community where we live out the fellowship described in acts chapter 2 verses 42 through 47 now none of them are perfect trust me i know some of the teachers they're not perfect i'm not perfect it's it's but there are places of community where we can pursue life together for the kingdom of god that's what life groups are meant to be. And it's not uncommon. In fact, it's actually the norm that when someone's going through something that and I find out about it or Randy finds out about it and we reach out to that person, the life group has been on the ground days before we would. One time there was someone in the hospital it was Charlie gangs I was calling Charlie. I said, Hey, this person's in the hospital. And I said, Oh, well, I went there yesterday, someone's there this morning, and we have meals lined up for them for the you know the next few weeks. And I said, All right, well, I don't know why I'm here, so I'm I'm gonna go say hey to them and say but that's the that's the norm for life groups. It's it's this community that comes alongside one another. So if you're not connected with one, please, you I don't say this to, to build anything up, build up the teachers or build up myself. I do it because I love you. Connect to a life group. Engage in that life group. If you're like a once-a-month person in life group, or you're, you know, plug in even deeper into the community of life group. You will not regret it. God will minister, administer his grace to you in ways that you have you, you can't even fathom through the Ministry of Life Group. It's so important. We love it here at Meadowbrook. Now, I want to address people who are engaged in their life group now, and two people in that. So if this type of depth of relationship does not exist in your life group right now, why is that the case? Why not? Well, we see this, this spirit of humility that results in the confession of sin to one another, not necessarily in the whole community of the life group, but just in pockets of people that are talking and praying for one another in a way that is actually bearing the burdens of the soul. Why, if that doesn't exist in your life group, why not? If you're a teacher in this room, I encourage you, I challenge you, be intentional to lead your groups in this way. Lead out in this. You know, it may mean that you teach a little bit less and leave more room for pray in this kind of conversation um, to happen. It may mean that you, you encourage your group to be there on time so that you can have these kind of conversations and not feel so rushed. It may mean that you add different things that you're doing throughout the year outside of life group. I don't know what it means for your life group But whatever the case is, consider how you can lead your life group, whether you're teaching students or you're teaching adults or even children. How can you lead your life group to this type of restorative ministry of confession and prayer? And then members of life group, are you engaging? Are you engaging in in the community of the group? Your teachers are preparing, they're praying, they're seeking to shepherd you as a group, but if you are not engaging the class in meaningful discussion with healthy vulnerability and initiating this time for ministry yourself, it's just not going to happen. Or if it does, you're not going to be a part of it. And you're going to miss it still, even though you're attending. Humble and conf- humble confession and restorative praying is a team effort, not a one-man show. And it's not a waste of time. For in the very next stroke of his pen, this is what James says, he says, the prayer Of a righteous person has great power as it is working, or is both powerful and effective. For the righteous person, your prayers are effective because God hears them and he responds to them. Now, we are not righteous on our own merits. The best righteousness that we can produce is filthy rags before God. But our faith in Christ makes one righteous, and in that position, it grants us access into the very throne room of God because our righteousness is the righteousness of Christ that's given freely to us in salvation. And from that position, which we are now entered into because of what Jesus has done as the great high priest, which you can read about in chapter 4 of the book of Hebrews, what Jesus has done as, as the great high priest and how that has been applied to our lives through His Holy Spirit, we know our prayers are being heard. Because look at what the book of Hebrews says. When it's talking about what Jesus has done as the great high priest and what He has done for us in the gospel... This is where it concludes in verse chapter 4, verse 16. He says, Let us then, with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. You want to apply the gospel daily in your life? Seek the Lord in prayer. We have been given a position into the Holy of Holies as priests unto our God. It is a special privilege that we so often lose sight of. But not only are we positionally right with Christ and with God, but we also grow practically in this expression of righteousness because as, our, as we walk with Christ, our walk with Him produces greater measures of Christ's righteousness in us. And what that does is it aligns our prayers closer and closer to the perfect will of God. So as we, as we grow and mature in Christ, we grow and mature in our prayers. So what we're doing is we leave behind the, the selfish prayers of chapter 4 that James refers to that sought to take God's will and align it to our will. We leave those prayers behind. Those are foolish prayers, worthless. We can't expect those to be answered. So we leave those prayers behind, and we embrace the prayer of faith of your kingdom come, your will be done, not mine. And with some of that prosperity teaching, there's this idea that out there that if we say, if we're praying like, nevertheless, not my will be done, but yours, Lord, is somehow a lack of faith, that's, that's ridiculous too. It's not, prayer is not about our will being done, but God's will being done. And prayer is the way that we participate, not bringing about what we want, but God allows us and works through our prayers to bring about His perfect will of God. It's incredible when you think about prayer. It's glorious, it's mysterious, it's, it's wild. It's, it's awesome. And this is why I like using the Bible to, to guide some of my prayers whether it's a quiet time or looking at the Psalms and using the Psalms to kind of guide the way I'm praying. Because when we use the Bible to guide our prayers, and if you're studying with a Book curriculum, you're going to get an opportunity in chapter 3 of Ephesians to do just this and practice this thing. But when we use the Bible as a guide to our prayers, it helps you tether your request to God's will and focus your request more on the eternal and the kingdom of God and less and less on the temporary and our own comfort. It's a helpful way to grow in praying if you're seeking to grow as a prayer. You just take the scripture that you're reading or you take a psalm, you read through it, and then you, uh, and you respond to it and pray. You pray through it. You let that be the, the guiding of your request. And then James closes this session. He closes, what, what does this effective prayer life look like? Well, he illustrates it with the person of Elijah. Now, Elijah, if you remember, he lived in similar, a similar time as the audience of James and a similar time as us as well. The faithful in Israel were the minority. And the rich and powerful, led by King Ahab and Jezebel, were worshiping idols and they were committing grave injustices. They oppressed the poor, they slaughtered their children and worshipped the idols, and they murdered prophets of God. But it says Elijah was a human being just like us. There's no difference between us and him. He was a prophet. We're made prophets through Christ. And he did some pretty cool things. But he was a human being just like us. He sinned. He messed up. But you know what he did? In this culture of compromise and persecution, Elijah believed in God, and he walked with him, and he prayed that the will of God would be done. Because if you remember from the story when it's talking about this rain, God first told Elijah that there would be a drought. And then when the drought's coming to an end, God tells Elijah first, that, the, the, that rain is going to come. And it's in response to the God's word that Elijah begins to pray for the drought and then Elijah then pray, prays from the rain. So what we, see, what we see in the story of Elijah is that he is just simply praying the word and the will of God to come about. And God responded. Because, of course, he did. It was his will. So the drought comes, and there's this three-and-a-half-year period of drought where God is using this to judge the wicked. He's using it to serve justice to the oppressive rich. I mean, the, uh, the oppressive rich. And he vindicates his servant Elijah before all of the pros, pro, false prophets, as you remember, the showdown at Mount Carmel. And then he brings about his restoration through the rain. Now, God's work in that prayer, and that effective uh, prayer ministry, we see very clearly it was not divorced from the work of Elijah. Elijah's prayers were important. They were part of God's plan about bringing about His will. But And Elijah played an active role in that. So when we pray, it, it's meaningful. It's not, you know, God's sovereignty doesn't discount pray and praying. In fact, it elevates the need and the, the, the glory of prayer. But... His prayers, Elijah's prayers, were not effective because of Elijah, but they were effective because of the Lord. So we see in this story everything that James is trying to communicate to us, and he's he's highlighting that same glory and mystery of prayer where we're actively participating in bringing about the immutable and perfect will of God through prayer. Like I said, it's it's crazy. Prayer is one of those things that is still wild to me. But even even more than that, Elijah's story serves as a picture of a broader story. James chapter 5 has been weaving it together throughout. There's this oppression that's taking place in this fallen world. There's suffering that's taking place. But be patient because the Lord's going to return. The day of the Lord is going to turn, and he's going to judge the wicked as God judged Ahab and his followers through the drought and through the slaughter. And he's going to restore his people. Jesus is coming again the wicked will perish and he will establish his kingdom in perfect righteousness and peace and he will bring about his ultimate restoration now that you can you can bank on this this world will leave us weary at times that's just a fact but you can also bank on this this world ain't all there is this world isn't our home So be steadfast in the trial. Be patient in your prayers. Come alongside one another, fortifying one another through your prayers. And the Lord will raise your spirits today. He will lift you up. He will restore the weary. He will forgive the sinner. And He will raise your bodies unto glorified life tomorrow and you will hear your name confessed by jesus christ before the throne of god saying he's with me she's with me and you will enter into his perfect rest be steadfast be patient and come alongside one another let's pray father We thank you today for the ministry of prayer, the gift that it is to us. Forgive us for seeing it as a burden. Forgive us for seeing it as insignificant, forgiving it. Forgive us for seeing it as as some means that which we're supposed to gain your approval. Forgive us for not seeing just the glorious, gracious gift it is to us. Help us to grow in prayer. Help us to pray for one another. Oh, God, just help us. I pray for those who are weary, Lord. I pray that you would restore them. I pray for those who are still dead in their sins. I pray that they would, you would open their eyes to the truth of the gospel, that they would believe in Jesus, and that they would repent and follow after him as Lord and, and enjoy the freedom of your forgiveness. I pray for this time, Lord. I pray that you would use it to transform us, and make us look more and more like Jesus Christ. For it is in His name we pray. Amen.